just know the Lord's prayer through Scripture now. Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to look into your word, Lord, and those that are in front of online and, and listen to your word, Lord. I pray that you bless them, Lord, and I pray that you speak to them. And I pray, Father God, that you be drawn closer to you. Thank you for each and every person that's here. And it's all prayer, Lord God, once again. If you reach out, touch and make it possible for me, anyway, we just come to know you. That would be the high. For the great and the mighty name of Jesus, that we pray. So, a teacher asked Little Susie where her nose is, and Susie points to it. Next, she asked Little Freddie where his ears are, and Little Freddie points to his ears. Then she asked Little Johnny where his heart is, and Little Johnny points to his behind. The teacher said, No, that's not right, Little Johnny. Let's try that again. Where is his heart? And again, Little Johnny points to his behind. She looked at him. Every time my grandma comes over, she gives me a hug, pats my behind, and says, Bless your heart. <laughs> so, sometimes you need to be careful what you say today. <laughs> Seven things that Christ did in you. I'm going to start out with the Colossians. We're going to flip over to Philippians just for a second. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them that lay out of fear, and for as many as have not seen my face. The Apostle Paul, uh, who reaches out in love now, looks out on the screen and drops the book of Colossians, and the Lord shared this with you about the Apostle Paul, and great conflict, and great agony, praying for the church that lay out of fear, and praying for those that have not seen his face. And I feel compelled to share that with you. Those that are on a prayer list, like, my goodness, we don't see any answers from God, and we don't see what God is doing. Hang in there. God hears, and God is with you, and God will answer in this way, this time. I promise you, He will. So turn with me again to the book of Philippians. Let's begin, shall we? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, Fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Hopefully, two verses one through two. Seven place, Christ, in the name of So, when you become a Christian, one of the great mysteries that we get is eternal life through Christ. You ever notice that? You ever met someone who just became a Christian? And it's almost immediately that they begin to change. Have you noticed that? I love that. I think that's an amazing thing. They begin to change. They begin to be different. And out of a sudden, things that they once loved, they start saying, I don't think I should be doing that. And things they once hated, they start saying, I need to be doing that. It's kind of like a four-year-old who learns that a bath is actually good for you. New life in Christ, though, as we become Christians, we gain a few new things in Jesus Christ. Here's some of the things that we get there. Number one, we become a new believer uh, as we experience, we experience several changes in our lives. And the first thing that we get is the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, and some people ask me all the time, Pastor, what's the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? Nothing. Just Old English versus Modern English. That's yeah. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. You get the Holy Spirit. 
every Christian who truly believes, who truly receives Jesus Christ, is sealed by the Spirit. Now, let me be honest with you. The Spirit manifests itself in everybody differently. It comes out in people differently. There are some of us that have different gifts. Some of us that have different anointings. Some of us that have different uh, expertises, if you will, or different abilities in the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of us like to think that we become superheroes when we become Christians wrong. We read things like Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we take that verse out of context. And we think we can go outside and lift up a car without a jack. Well, you know, you know what the problem is, is we're not reading all the scriptures. We're reading one verse at a time. We need to read the whole Bible as a whole. And so, you do get the Holy Spirit, though. And with that, you get gifts. And those gifts are different, even though some churches like to really uh, put the emphasis on the gifts. Here in the Baptist Church, we let the gifts manifest inside each person's uh, role inside the church. We have deacons who where they go around deacon, right? Have you ever heard that before? If you're a deacon, deep, right? If you're a teacher, deep. If you're a preacher, preach, right? If you're a witness, witness. If you're someone who gives a, testi- a testimony, testify. So that's how those gifts come out there. Administrators, help, etc., etc. We allow those to manifest. And then as the body begins to notice those gifts, we put that person to work inside the body of Christ. So one of the first things you get is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit comes to, and it comes to us all the same way through Jesus Christ, but manifests itself differently. Uh, and that's how Jesus wants to grow his body. Say, well, that means we are one body. In fact, we're under one head, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? One head, Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. And we're all part of the body. We make up His body. And so I want you to think about what you are in the body of Christ. There's no doubt what I am. I am a mouth. Amen? So uh, some of you are hearts. And some of you are knees. Some of you are fingers. Some of you are hands and eyes and ears and a nose and a mouth and a, and a tongue. And don't think for one iota of a minute, one centillion of a second. Don't think, well, I'm less important than somebody else because I'm not loud or because I'm not, you know, braggadocious or I'm not really uh, zealous or uh, very, very, very uh, big with my witness. Sometimes the smallest and the weakest part of the body is the most important part. Let me give you an instance that may bring some thoughts to you. You ever got up in the middle of the night? You have lots of mamas here, lots of daddies here, and your kids crying, lots of grandmas and grandpas here, and your grandchild is crying, and you ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night? Now, all of a sudden, that insignificant little piece of code becomes very important, doesn't it? So, what happens in the body of Christ is we treasure every piece of God's body. Every one of us has a job to do. Yes, the body can function without certain members, but it functions a lot better with those members. Uh, as we were learning the strength of God the other night, we used my brother as an example. He has diabetes, and he's lost a thumb, and he's lost a toe. Yes, he still functions, and he does quite well with that, but he functions better with his thumb. Now, watch him try to button his foot if you have a junior, you know, or things of that nature. Plus, he walks now and his foot turns because that toe no longer stabilizes that foot. Yes, he functions, but he would be functioning better if he had all the parts of his body. And churches can function without certain parts of the body, but the truth is, is when all the bodies together all performing its job, then we all function much better. The bad news is, as we're all human, a lot of times we say, well, I want to be the mouth, or I want to be the eyes, or I want to be the nose, and really be a foot. 
could you imagine what it would be like to have a foot on the middle of your face? It doesn't work right. It doesn't look right. And it doesn't portray right. So as you get the Holy Spirit inside your Christian life, you're going to find out the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. Number one, the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us. Convicts us of what's wrong. So a brand new believer starts having something they never had before, and that's conviction. That means when I'm doing something wrong, I feel guilty about it. You ever had that before? You're a Christian, you should be saying, Amen. If you're not a Christian, you're like, What are you talking about? Well, we've got to get saved to know what I'm talking about, okay? The second part is the Holy Spirit is He brings to mind things that He's already told us from His Word. So a lot of times we read His Word and it comes back later on, especially at those wonderful times when we don't know what to do. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you experience it. If you're a new Christian, then you might say, what are you talking about, Pastor Joshua? Well, what I'm talking about is sometimes when you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, and out of nowhere, that scripture you read six months ago just pops right up in your mind. That's the Holy Spirit. That's how it works in there. Uh, amongst other jobs the Holy Spirit, people, those are some of it manifests itself a lot in modern-day believers. One of the other things you get as a Christian, you get that new life of Christ, you get God's Word. God's Word is a truth you're going to learn to stand on. God's Word is a truth you're going to learn to apply in your life. And God's Word is something that is contrary to what the world says. The world says we evolved from monkeys. God's Word says God made us in His own image. You can already see there's a conflict. The world says love is love. The Bible says God is love. There is a conflict there. There's a contrast in that. And you can see where the rest of that was going in. Uh, as a believer, and I'm going to start picking up my pace here, you also get the church. Love it or hate it, you get the church. Church is good. Church is a beautiful blessing. It's a place you come to to get re-energized, renewed, get encouraged. And it's not a place you come to get saying, you know what? Uh, you should not be like you and be like me. You know what? If we all were like you, we'd all be noses or eyes or ears, or, and the body wouldn't quite function the way it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, in modern-day church, that's what we do now is be more like me. I'm an eye. Well, I don't know about you, but one big eyeball doesn't quite do well at holding the hurting. One big eyeball doesn't do quite well at moving the body to where it needs to be. One big eyeball doesn't hear what things are being said. So you do get to church, but says love it or hate it. And people often will say, Pastor, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, I want to remind you of something. There's always room for one more hypocrite. Okay? So, church is full of hypocrites. Of course it is. Of course it is. There's always somebody in this God's people who isn't quite what they say they are. And you're not here for that one person. You're not here for those people. You're here for Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what you're here for. If you're here for the people, you're here for the social connection, you're here for the wrong reason. Worship, we get encouraged, and we get equipped, and we go back out in the world on God's mission. Second thing we get as a Christian believer and new life type is we get new friends and family. Because you're going to find out that the church is going to also have not just hypocrites, it's going to have real believers as well. And inside those real believers, you're going to find that people actually love you. They actually care about you. They're actually going to pray for you. I love it when a Christian says, I'm going to pray for you, and they actually pray for you. I thank God that at Rock Family Baptist Church, we have people who pray for their pastor. We have people who pray 
for my wife. We have people who pray for my children. God bless you. Thank you for praying for my son, Jordan. He made it home early this morning. Thank you for that. I give the glory to God. Hallelujah. He answered your prayers. He answered my prayers. Thank you for praying for that. So we get new friends and we get family as well. And one of the blessings about being the pastor is I try to remember everybody's name, but because we're all a family, I can get away sometimes and say, Amen, brother. How you doing, sister? Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. I've worked on that, and I've tried to do that as best as I can with my heart. Let's take a look at that next slide. So let's take a look at a few of those things that we get as a new life in Christ. Well, the presence of the Holy Spirit we talked about. So let's take a look at John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And so Jesus' Word is right in front of us. Jesus is the Word. And incidentally, when we are relying on the Holy Spirit, He will teach us and He will bring to our remembrance all things that I said. You see a picture then of what the whole, one of the whole jobs of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's move on quickly now because I'm running out of time here. God's Word. First Peter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So we are growing God's Word. You ever heard that saying before? You are what you eat. If you are not eating and feeding on God's Word, then you're feeding on something else. And most of us like to feed on the world, or we like to get, I'm getting God's Word through YouTube. No, you're not. I'm getting God's Word through Twitter or through uh, Instagram. No, you're not. What you're missing out is actually reading God's Word. You need to pick up your Bible and you need to read it. And you need to desire it. Because if you're not desiring God's Word, Gotta find out whether or not you truly are a child of God. Because as a newborn babe, the Bible tells us first Peter first two two, we desire the pure milk of the word. If you don't have a desire for God's word, you got a relationship problem. Let me just throw that out. Okay, the Bible tells us that you may grow thereby. So eventually we go from milk into meat. Uh, and I like to throw something in the middle sometimes as a pastor. I like to say from milk to mashed potatoes a little bit. Amen. So God, I am a Texas guy that's too often. Next slide, please. In church, one of the things we get is a new believer in Jesus Christ. Look here at the church, Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. A good picture of the church getting together and praying. I remember during 2020, the COVID uh, pandemic, I'm sorry, or pandemic, has come out. And it said, shut down. It said, quit singing. It said, quit worshiping. It said, don't meet together because somebody's going to get sick and somebody's going to get killed. I want you to know that in the presence of God, there's not death. There is life. In the presence of God, that's where He is. He didn't say, I'm with two or three on the telephone. He didn't say, I'm with two or three that are on TV. He said, I'm with two or three that are gathered in my name. And we need to get back to that right now. And if you put church out of your heart and out of your life, you need to remember what God's Word says. Two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. We need to be a best part of that again. Next slide, please. Matthew 16, 17, and 18. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed just to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And of course, that famous saying we quote all the time the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. That's God's church. The gates of hell will not win against God's church. And incidentally, when you start thinking about gates, you should not think of gates as offensive. Think of gates as defensive. 
That means the gates of hell are trying to keep us from getting people out. Well, you know what we need to do? We need to start kicking on the door. It's not going to prevail against us. We need to start knocking. We need to start breaking down the doors. And we need to start telling people, don't go in there because in there is no escape. We need to come out with Jesus Christ. Okay, next slide, please. So, remember, you also get Christian brothers and sisters, right? Well, this one could be good or bad, as I said before. Uh, sometimes you get fake Christians. Sometimes you get real Christians. Sometimes you get Christians who make mistakes and hurt you unintentionally. And sometimes you get brothers and sisters who do hurt you intentionally. But you know something? And I need you to understand this. Part of our Christian life and part of our Christian growth is learning how to forgive. Can somebody say amen on that? If He has forgiven us, then we must forgive. That's a part of it. In fact, you probably remember the parables that are out there. Jesus gives quite a bit of them on parables. Let me start out with a few of these. Uh, just to be off the top of my head here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They say, hey, if a brother sins against us, how many times will you forgive him? Seven. Jesus says, what? Seventy times. Seven. That's a lot of forgiveness going on there. Let me give you another parable that happens here. Right? You get the story of this uh, particular guy who owes the master of the city or uh, owes the, the steward a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And he comes to him and says, Please be patient with me, and I'll pay everything I owe. He goes, to, it's an unpayable sum. And, of course, the master of the city says, I forgive you all the debt. And then within seconds, within seconds, that guy goes out and finds a man who owes him here too. He says, boy, you should pay me the pennies you owe me. I just got forgiven all that debt, but you owe me a couple of pennies. And he got him thrown into jail for his tortures until the debt is paid. So... I want to remind you of those two words you need to really think about inside that parable. Prison and torture. If you're not forgiven, you're the one who's being tortured. You're the one who's in prison. You need to learn that forgive. And we need to think about that for a second. All right? So there's some things that are in there. Learn to forgive. As Christians, brothers, should be good or bad? Well, it's all good. Look at Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. When God's body gets together, when God's children get together, there's no greater place to be. There's nothing sweeter than when God's people start praising the Lord. Somebody say amen. If you've ever been somewhere, and out of a sudden, the church starts worshiping, it's like the world gets stopped. All right, take a look at the next slide. Seven places Christ living in you. Philippians 2, verses 1, 2, again, just to remind us where we are. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if anything, comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any of... Uh, Affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. So out of this, we're going to pull out seven traits of Christ living in you. And you might say to yourself, Pastor, I want to gauge myself. Well, you should. You need to write these things down and put them on your refrigerator bed. Let's take a look at them. Next slide. How righteous there is any. And I, I want to point this out here in Greek here. To understanding if there is any, you need to put to it. Paul says, if there is any, but really we're saying that there had better be some. If you are a Christian, there had better be some of these things. Not search deep down in the side to bring a little bit out. No, no, no. As a Christian, it should be right there on the top. It should be part of who you are. It should be what makes you up. When someone describes you, the first thing that should come up is that person is a Christian. Think about that for a second. The understanding is, if there is any, it should be yes, there is. A more correct understanding would be, if there is any, there had better be some, or you do not have Let's take a look at that next slide. First trait here. 
consolation in Christ. If there is any, the first thing you need to have is consolation in Christ. Now, what is consolation? What is consolation? I don't know about you, but when I think about consolation, I always think about game shows. Did you ever watch Jeopardy? Did you ever watch The Wheel of Fortune? Did you ever watch, uh, yeah, some of you are way too young to watch Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall, right? Love those things right there. But when they lost, they got a consolation prize. And that consolation prize was saying, maybe this will help you feel better. That's not the picture that's in the Bible. What is consolation? The consolation biblically is a person who dwells in a state of consolation when he or she is living for God's active presence in the world. In other words, I cannot be consoled, I cannot be satisfied, I cannot be fulfilled until I am doing what God wants me to do. As a Christian, that is our desire. That's our heart's desire, is to be where He wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do, saying what He wants us to say around the people He wants us to be around. That's our consolation. That's the only thing that comforts us. Can I get an amen? That's consolation. A person dwells in a state of consolation when she or he is living toward God's active presence in the world. That's why I think Consolation, Matthew 5, verse 14. If you are the light of the world, Remember that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Get the idea of this city on a hill and place of a light. If it's a light, it will shine. Consolation. Not necessarily instead of, but because it's there, it will shine. Consolation. Not because, not, not excuse me, not, not in place of, but because of. Consolation. Next slide, please. I'm running out of time. Second place. Comfort of love is the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. You're going to have consolation. You're going to have comfort of love. So as a Christian, we should be able to comfort each other in love. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably the hardest thing for a Christian to do, is to love somebody that you don't think is lovable. Well, I guess that means amen. You're the Baptist church. To love somebody you don't think is lovable. So if you were to imagine somebody in your mind right now that's not lovable, Think that would be. For many years, as I served, as you know, in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. All those years I served as a chaplain, one of my dreads, one of the things I hated most of all, was working with my Islamic friends. And I went to God about that. I said, Deliver me from this evil, Lord. You know how the Holy Spirit responded to me? Love, young brother. Love, Islamophobic. 
not afraid to tell them Muslims, Jesus Christ died for you. I am not afraid to show them the law of God, and that in that law they will be found Pastor, what do you mean by that? You know, it's a question the last time Jesus told the law. You know the last commandment? Thou shalt not lie. With that being said, that is the five months. Amen. Love the unlovable. And as a Christian, we comfort one another in love. And Christians get hurt. We should be the first one to comfort them in love. Remember, I started out earlier talking about how when we stub our toes, we might not think anything about our toes. We might think, I got the ugliest toes in the world. But stub that thing, and out of a sudden you'll love it. Somebody say amen. We should comfort one another like that. When that toe's hurting, the whole body hurts. When your stomach hurts, the whole body hurts. When your head hurts, the whole body hurts. And church, when one of us are hurting, we all hurt. Somebody say amen. We pray for each other. We love one another. Comfort and love. Yeah, I've got the scripture here. First John 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. It doesn't know Him because it can't really love. Their love is perversion. Their love is self-indulgence. Their love is, I want to do what I want to do, and if you don't let me do what I want to do, then you really don't love me. Sounds like a kid, doesn't it? You don't love me, Mommy, unless you give me my sucker for breakfast.
flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not here. Let me go ahead and put that out there. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. We know what the fruit of the Spirit is. The Bible tells us that. We're supposed to be as Christians looking for that fruit. People will tell us, don't be judging. No, we're told to look for that fruit. You look for it. People are going to come up to you and say, I want to show you the big, green, lusty leaves that I have. We're not looking for leaves. We're not looking for healthy roots. We're not looking for big, strong bark. We're looking for fruit. Fruit. And fruit only. We don't care how green the leaves are. We don't care how strong the plant is. We care about fruit. And it's really easy to tell what kind of fruit it is by what fruit it bears. When I argue with me, go pull an orange off the orange tree and tell me it's a lemon. Then you'd be modern-day scientists. Somebody say amen. All right, here. Romans 8, 9. If you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not here. Let's take a look at that next slide. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5. As I said before, the Jesus in me relates to the Jesus in you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church of Corinth, who had fallen, who had sinned, who allowed immorality inside the church. They actually had sexual immorality in the church. And Paul chastised them, Paul prayed for them, and then Paul just left them back. God bless the Apostle Paul. He says, examine yourselves. In other words, look at yourself daily, Christian. I know we don't hear about this. We don't preach it. We don't teach it. Now, we're supposed to look at ourselves daily. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Check yourself every day before you wreck yourself. Check yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are the faith. What does that mean? Unless you don't really have Jesus. You know whether you have Jesus or not. Check yourself every day to see if you're in the faith. Jesus in me relates to the Jesus in you. Let's take a look at the next slide. Fourth trait: affection and mercy. What in the world is that? Affection and mercy. As a Christian, I should be affectionate. You know, the Bible actually says, greet one another with the Holy Kiss. Thank God it's the year 2023, and none of you guys are trying to kiss Pastor on the lips. Amen. When I was in Poland, they tried to kiss me on the cheek. I was like, whoa. Whoa, buddy. Yeah, they did. Hey, as I was leaving, Pastor Gregor got me right there on the cheek. I said, oh, God bless you. Thank you, Lord, for helping me love the unlovable. <laughs> I'm telling you, they believe that. And they hold on to grief one another with a holy kiss. And they mean it. And they love one another. And it's beautiful. It's pure. There's nothing perverted about it. They love one another. But let me be honest with you, as a Texan, I don't care for that. <laughs> affection and mercy. Affection and mercy. What is that? You have mercy on the Let's take a look at the next one. Affection and mercy. Affection. To be fond of. To begin enjoying something that you once didn't like as a Christian. You're going to find yourself being affectionate for things you did not want to have affection for. You're going to start loving something called righteousness. And you're going to start hating something called wickedness. When you want love wickedness, you start hating wickedness and start loving righteousness. Your affections are going to change to where they're no longer part of the world, but become part of God's Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit says, love the unlovable. So I say amen there. They become fond of They enjoy things they want to love. Mercy. Mercy. To forgive. 
to look at someone who's going to be hurt with that. I forgive you because Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. 